0: Mike and Sue have been married for 50 years uh, this August. They have four children. (laughs) It's, I annoy myself with the cowbell though. (laughs) It does work. Okay, they've been married for 50 years. They have four children that are all married. They have nine grandchildren. Four of them are married and eight great-grandchildren. They moved to Missouri from Northern Illinois about 33 years ago. They started coming to the chapel then and have been here ever since. Uh, Both have been active in various ministries here at the chapel. Mike is retired and Sue works part-time at Cheekwood Studio. They are going to be um, speaking on the topic of atmosphere of contentment,
1: so thank you. Well, thank you um, for having us here today. Yes, this is my real voice. If you don't know me, this is what it is. I got sheer. sorry, I took one of your Diet Cokes. I know where they are. And I took that. But what, um, just a privilege to be here again. Thank you so much. I know most of the time you don't have a guy up here talking. Um, I did this a couple years ago and it was on bitterness and they asked me to come back. I still don't know why, though. But, um, but really, thanks a lot for having us. It really is a privilege we, take, we don't take this uh, for granted. We Really, need to thank you and pre- appreciate us being here. Um, before we get started, I just want to go over a couple, of four quick, really, points. Um, you have some outlines on your table. We'll get to those. But we're going to be speaking com- with biblical principles in mind when we talk about contentment. So we're going to mention the Bible. have some verses. Because overall, really, every aspect of contentment can only be found in biblical principles. So that's what we'll be looking at. The other thing is, we're gonna be talking about the atmosphere of contentment. And what we mean by this is creating that atmosphere, creating that surrounding, when people walk in, they go, ah, this feels really good. Have you ever walked into homes and go, this feels really nice here. That's kind of what we're looking for, what we're talking about. Not only for you personally, but also maybe for the people when they come around you, it's like, I like to be around this. Um, And do we have that? Do we need that? Yes, we do. And the reality is Paul talks about it in Philippians 4.11. He says, I've learned to be content. And Paul was a very content man. And the good thing about that is he says he learned to be it. So he wasn't it, but you can learn it. So that's our hope that we can have also too, that we can learn to be content in whatever circumstance. And if you look at your outline here, What it is, it looks like a whole bunch of stuff on there and it really is. And what they are is they're intertwining themes is what we're gonna be talking about. So as you fill this out, we're gonna do that. Now, I'm talking to ladies. So we have a spaghetti concept here, if you know what that means. That means men think like waffles, one thing at a time. Women think like everything's all tied together. And so when you say something, it means something else and it ties to all this and ties to all that this is what that outline is kind of like and i'll explain it here in a second so i'm going to be talking spaghetti to you guys so you really know when you see this you're going to figure this out so when you really look at the outline here you're going to see what are we looking for the atmospheric contentment and we can find it discontentment and that's not what we're looking for that'll be all the c's on your left hand side and it ties in really with the mindset of idolatry If you want to find discontentment, just think about yourself as being what you can control rather than God. And on the other side, you're going to see finding contentment. And that's all going to be found in biblical principles. And really what that is, is worship. And then at the bottom of your outline, we're talking about it ties in with relationships with God and with each other. And that's, so all of these, when you see, they're going to all intertwine as we go through these, and you'll be able to figure that out. If I was talking to men, I wouldn't be able to do that because they don't get it. And then the last thing I want to talk about is, which I won't get on a soapbox because I could for about an hour, um, overshadowing influence. I just want you to think about this. Social media and technology today. Okay, that's an overshadowing influence on our contentment. We can find discontentment or we can find contentment. And you know that, I think you realize that, this is really Satan's greatest tool right now to have discontentment. So what I want you to think about when we start talking here is that how does all this tie in sometimes to my social media or my technology? Because that's the reality of what can be happening here too. So, and then just to kind of let you know how this is gonna work, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna kind of, the list of C's there, I'm gonna start it off with just a brief comment. Then I'm gonna pass over to my beautiful wife and then she will make things. And then I'll come back and kind of close with a little bit of an application on the spiritual aspect. So we're gonna get started. If you wanna fill in, you can. If you have a pen or if you need one, maybe borrow one. We're gonna get started with um, the C's then. And the first C is comparison. Comparison. Because I think this is one area in our life today that a lot of us, and especially ladies, unfortunately, might struggle with the most is comparison. Now, I'm not saying that guys don't struggle with this. They do. That's why there's mirrors and gyms and things like that. Well, that's why if they have a truck, it's like, okay, look at my truck. What's your truck got on it? Oh, it's really something and all that kind of stuff. And they do that and they say, that's cool. But then they walk away and it really doesn't bother them that much. They still might want to buy it. But the difference is with ladies sometimes in comparison, that kind of brings and stays with you. And you walk away and your emotions are tied into that comparison. A lot longer than this, guys, we're pretty simple. So what I'm talking about here is comparison. and reality, what comparison really is, is you're looking for your own identity in somebody else or something else. And a lot of times we look for that by comparing ourselves to others, what they do, what they think. And the comparison mindset really does affect our contentment. So I'm gonna let Sue talk about a few things here.
0: OK, ladies, remember we're trying to find an atmosphere of contentment, a place of contentment. We want that atmosphere where not only we, ourselves, but others, when they come in, feel that contentment. Like Mike said, that place of, ha, huh, just, ha. Huh. So we all want that ho- our home to be known as a place of contentment. But we get caught up into this pattern of comparisons that hinders our contentment. A good phrase to remember is, comparison is the thief of joy. What kind of comparisons are we talking about? Well, let's look at a few. Overall, we're talking about people comparisons. Looking and comparing ourselves with other people in general. There are many aspects, some simple, Some silly, that we make comparisons. We compare others' looks, appearance, physical condition, what kind of shape they're in, the clothes they wear, hairstyles, how often they change their hairstyles, activities, their hobbies, their trips, their vacations, birthday parties they have for their kids. We compare where they shop, Schnucks, Walmart, Target, TJ Maxx. What kind of coffee do they get? Sounds crazy, but don't we do this? We get caught up in comparisons. Does this bring more contentment to us? Or are we really just looking for our own identity through these comparisons? Then there are deeper comparisons. Careers. Homes. Everything in the home. Do they have hardwood floors? Do they have carpet? What kind of appliances do they have? We do lots of comparing, not only in the home, and then we extend it to the neighborhoods. Where do they live? Then we compare. How do we raise our kids? Oh, we don't do that here, do we? Okay. how do we discipline our kids? The clothes we have them wear, the activities that they're involved in, gymnastics, baseball, I don't know, what do we do? We compare. Then even deeper comparisons with some serious, sometimes affects comparing husbands, comparing my mom, your mom, my dad, your dad, in-laws, friends. We all know the list could go on and on with this chaos of comparison. That does nothing to add to an atmosphere of contentment.
1: So contentment there, there really is hope to escape this chaos of contentment and to find your identity in something else other than that, and that's in Jesus Christ, whom there is no one to compare to. (laughs) And in realizing in him, he doesn't compare you, or he doesn't compare anybody else, he takes you as you are. And he gives you his identity, how to be identified in him, and in him there is no compare. So when you're looking for identity, The biblical answer is, and the real answer for contentment is you look not in something, but in somebody, and that's Christ. So we're gonna move on to the next C, and that's complaining. So write down complaining. So if you're comparing, and you saw the lifestyle of comparison, what does this usually lead to? It leads to complaining. So we look at ourselves, we look at each other, then we compare, and then we complain of what we don't have, or what we should have, or what we want. Here's a quote I just want you to listen to when I say it, Um, a quote from a guy I've read, the most visible result of a disgruntled heart, the most visible result of a disgruntled heart comes right out of our mouth. And so when you think about that in complaining, now Sue's gonna talk a little bit about complaining.
0: I get all the good stuff, you know. (laughs) 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 The complaining. (laughs) (laughs) complaining. (laughs) Well, ladies, we have to admit, with our level of emotions and our spaghetti nature and how all these emotions are tied with each other, the area of complaining is an area in which we all struggle. Complaining, who wants to be around a bunch of complainers? I saw a saying once, and I actually printed it and put it up on my wall, that complainers neither enjoy nor give joy. A complaining atmosphere is not an atmosphere of contentment. The atmosphere of ah is not found with a bunch of whiners and complainers. (laughs) So, some of the complaining that we do hinders that atmosphere of contentment. Let's start with ourselves. Sometimes we don't even have to look to others to complain. We just look in the mirror and we start, ah. I don't like the way I look, I don't like my weight, I don't like my hair, I don't like my age. (laughs) But we can just look at ourselves and complain. We can look at our own identity and not be satisfied because of all the problems we see in ourselves and just complain about them. That's why we have to remember what has already been mentioned, our identity is in Christ some of the other things we complain about are others even those close to us who will be affected the most negatively by our complaining like our families husbands children sisters or in-laws or our friends how does our continual complaining affect those who love us and whom we should love the most these are the very ones we should not hurt yet are often the targets of most of our complaining. And how does this complaining make them feel about themselves? We complain about our activities, our vacations. We got a room on the top floor. The view is terrible. The bed's uncomfortable. Stop it! We're on vacation! We do that. Other activities we're involved in. We go to the gym. Well, there wasn't a machine open, Or we go shopping. Well, there was no sales. We just continue on with this complaining attitude. Our kids' activities, the time, the effort, the cost, the coaches. Well, I don't even complain we are so busy with all our activities that we have no me time. And then when we get our me time, we complain that it wasn't quiet enough, the coffee wasn't good, I didn't really like the book I was reading. Oh. Maybe complaints about our careers, the if, if, if I work, I complain about not enough pay, co-workers, bosses, hours, time away from home, or if I don't work, I'm stuck at home with the kids all day complaining about the extra money I could have made or the adult conversation I long to have. I can relate to that, ladies, when mine were young. <laughs> when we think about it, we are sometimes just complaining about our life. Easy to get out of this pattern, just complaining about pretty much everything. <clears throat> Not seeing all you have, but seeing all you don't have, and the problems with everything you have. <clears throat> this doesn't help to bring an atmosphere of contentment.
1: So when you look at complaining, it's easy for all of us to complain and not to do the opposite, which is to give thanks for so many things. And first of all, we need to give thanks for the reality that we can have an identity in Christ. And that's the one who is there is no compare. And then that should stop all the complaints just in and of itself, just realizing that. And by the way, the Bible has a lot of things to say about complainers and complaining, and it's not good. (laughs) You don't wanna be one of those. And really, when you think about it, if we really look at what we have, you guys are all here, I watch you interact, just the joy that you have. You're here because you're blessed with children. You probably ate this morning. If not, you had some really good snacks. You're going to have craft. You're going to continue to have fellowship. You're probably going to eat lunch later. You're probably going to get in your car, and you're probably going to go to your house. You get the picture? (laughs) Every bit of that is what you have is from God, and we should be giving thanks for those kind of things, and to realize if we don't do that, that's really idolatry, not giving thanks to the one we should. And when we do give thanks, it's really worship. There's a story in the Bible about 10 lepers, you may have heard from it. Christ healed 10 of them. One came back, it says, to give thanks. It really means, that word really means to give glory to God, to give praise to God, to worship God. Thanksgiving is tied with worship. And that's one thing we need to do. Look at your next C and that's control. So if you wanna look at control, write that down, number three. So when we compare, we complain, then what do we need to do? This is not working, let's take control. This always works, right? When you take control of everything, you're gonna do that? We all know that this doesn't work when you try to take control. Because in reality, the more we seem to do that, the more things seem to go wrong. And the more frustrated we get by our lack of control, or when we take control, things don't work. And none of that brings us an
0: atmosphere of contentment, so. Well, now let's look at some things that affect our atmosphere of contentment. When we try to be the one that takes control, and in doing so, hoping to find that contentment. Does taking control really lead to contentment? Again, let's start with ourselves. Let's control our appearance. We can try to shape it, change it, cover it. We try to lose weight, gain weight, rearrange weight. Usually, whatever we do, we never really meet the goal what we want. Or to put it another way, we never meet our expectations. Expectations, that's the real issue that we have the hardest time with. For even if we take control and we meet these expectations, what happens? We make another expectation, and the bar is raised higher and higher, and we say, I can do better, I can do more, I can do more. Is this contentment? Let's try controlling others. Will that work better? How does that usually work out for us? Let's control our children, our husbands, or let's control our friends. We just have to like or unlike them on Facebook. Or if we work, let's control our coworkers, our bosses, our activities, our children's activities, our free time, our husband's free time, everyone's time. Or you as a mother, hoping that if I have control over everything in this role of being a mother, this will bring contentment. Even physical things in the home, like appliances that break down, that don't cook the way they're supposed to, and the meal is ruined. We often get very frustrated over things we have no control over, but we always try to control them. <clears throat> Let's hope. That contentment comes in controlling our children. Meal times, bedtime, nap time, bath time, playtime. One word for trying to control everything? Exhausting. I don't think so. The formula of control, exhaustion, contentment, they don't equal each other, do they? <clears throat> Maybe one of the solutions of my favorite things that women do is make a list. Does anybody make a list? We can check everything off the list and then we feel good and be content. But what happens? There's always another list. Back to one other thing. We kind of mentioned before, but just to bring up again the topic of the fact that we often try to control our husbands. We often hear in counseling, I just wish he would be the leader. I just wish he would take charge and make a decision. I just wish he would step up and be a man. But could the real issue be, I want control. And in my desire for being in control, I don't allow him to take control. And if he does, do I compare him how others do it, how I would have done it, and then complain about the way he did do it? Maybe we need to release. Some control to find contentment. Oftentimes, our entire life seems out of control. Is there any hope of contentment in the life that is out of control? Yes, there is. Know the one who is really in control.
1: And again, the biblical principle of this and the one who's really in control is the one who we have our identity in. The one who is there. there is no compared to, and that's Christ. And the reality is you can thank God for all that. And you, you think, though, but can he be in control? Can I trust him if he is in control? And the answer is, yeah, you can, because he is in control. And he can have control, and he will control. And really, he should be in control because we're in him. And we should be glad that he's in control because he always wants the best for us in whatever we do. So that's the one I would desire to be in control if I need my contentment. And for that, we really can't complain. So the next one, C, if you wanna write this down, is confusion, confusion. The next C is confusion. And there's none of that in the world today, right? Everybody's got everything all done. It's not a problem you or I have. Confusion, the definition of confusion is to make mentally unclear or uncertain or to disturb the composure of, to mix up, to jumble, to fluster, to clutter, basically chaos is what it is. And that kind of sounds like maybe some of our life sometimes is chaos. And it sure seems the opposite of what we're looking for and what we desire, because confusion and chaos don't sound like an atmosphere of contentment. So let's look at confusion a little bit here.
0: Well, let's look at some things that affect our atmosphere of contentment again when we bring or let confusion into our lives. Can everybody hear me? Okay, good. Let's look at how it affects us personally, especially our own emotions. We need to realize that confusion brings a sense of being overwhelmed. Whether it is people, things, situations, information, The confusion that comes with all the different decisions that we have to make, with all the different scenarios, it's exhausting. A new term I heard recently, and it applies, is decision exhaustion. Think about other decisions we make for ourselves, like what we eat, is our diet healthy? What's the best weight to be, best exercise, doctors to pick, products to buy, good or bad? What friends to have? Do they have good or bad habits? What's their influence like? How about the confusion that comes in as mothers when raising our family, starting with them as infants, <coughs> especially if you're a new mom? Confusion on things like sleep routines, feeding routines, nap routines, bath, allergies, when to feed, when not to feed. When I get older, we have decisions on the type of playthings, friends, schools, clothing, and then, and they get older. Ladies, they do, (laughs) they get older. And then you're thinking of college, career, dating, marriage. I'll stop there. (laughs) And then back to things with our lifestyle. General things like, which is the safest car? Best car seat, and making that All important decision, Leslie, van (laughs) or no van. Our houses, best locations, schools, and on and on. Decision exhaustion. So what do we usually do? What do we think will help? What's the solution? While being in a state of, (coughs) excuse me, decision exhaustion and confusion, we go get more input, right? Look up more information, more clarity, and usually social media, which only adds to the confusion. And what's that help look like? How is that going to help you? What's their solution? Their solution, the world's solution, and unfortunately, often our solution. Let's compare ourselves to others, evaluate them, make our decisions on that. Let's see all their complaints, evaluate them, and make our decision on that. Let's try to get control Based on all this great information, this way doesn't work. It just leads us to be more confused. It still leaves us falling short of the atmosphere of contentment we desire. We need to refocus, and that focus needs to be on someone who can clear the clutter, chaos, and confusion. We need to focus on Christ.
1: Not as good as my Diet Coke, but you can have that. So confusion, sounds like a world, doesn't it? That's our world, that's your world, the confusion and chaos, and we ask what's really true, what can really help, can it really get us help, will it really work? What do we need to focus on for all this clarity? And it's not in what we need to focus on. Again, it comes back to who we need to focus on, and that's Christ. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. That's where we focus when we know the direction we want to be in. He's the one to focus on this confusion. Unfortunately, the problem a lot of time we have is we have so much confusion in our mind. He's trying to talk to us and he can't even. We can't get through because we have so much clutter in our mind already. We look in the thoughts of opinions of everybody else, what they think, what we should do, and he's trying to go. Uh, listen to me a second. I got something to tell you that can clear all that. So what we need to do a lot of times, again, is what we do is we get on Facebook with other opinions and all that. And I heard a term one time in a meeting, he goes, we gotta get off Facebook and get our face in the book. Because he's the one that's gonna clear all that clutter. He's the one you can trust. He's the one you can really focus on. So the last C we're gonna do here is concern. So if you wanna write concern in there. And it's the final C and we're really not just talking about concern. But it was a good. It was. We're talking about more than that. But I put concern because I couldn't put worry down there or anxiety. But that's what we're talking about. When worry, when concern, really gets like worry and anxiety, and sometimes even hopelessness is what happens. Mental health is a huge issue in our world today. This world has fallen, and there's a lot of concerns out there. Concerns that really will hinder our contentment. So Sue will talk about a couple
0: things here. Hopefully my voice will be fine. Ah, thanks. We had to do the C for concern, but like you said, it's more about anxiety and worry. Finally, let's look at the last thing that would affect our atmosphere of contentment, and that is when we have concern or worries. Again, starting with each of us, how concern, anxiety, worry affects us personally, physically, our body, our appearance, but shouldn't we be concerned about that? Yes, to a point, but in a healthy way. We should take care of ourselves, but not to the point where anxiety and worry takes over. Actually, it is well known that anxiety and worry add to our health problems. It affects our eating habits, sleep habits, sometimes causes us to begin other bad habits, cause blood pressure problems, heart problems, Tension and anxiety affects our muscles that can cause tension or migraine headaches, or a variety of other physical issues. Now, we could have a whole other list of all the things that cause anxiety and worry in all the different aspects of our lives, like we have done before with each point. But we won't go on to list them again. You know what they are, and you're living them. But a couple of other thoughts and principles. We'd like to mention, isn't the reality that oftentimes all our worry, anxiety, and concern is over things that never really happen? And all the what-ifs are usually the never happens. Yet we let all the what-ifs dominate our thoughts, our emotions, our actions, our lives. This is one way how we can let concern grow and hinder the atmosphere of contentment we desire. We usually have enough real concerns to deal with. We need to weed out those that we can't control and those that will probably never happen, which is about 80% of them. And another overall principle would be to ask ourselves a question, what are we focusing on? What are we mostly concerned, worried, anxious about? Oftentimes, it's simple, little things, meaningless things, that we elevate to a point of importance that they don't deserve. Spiritually, we call them temporal things, things that won't last, things that really don't mean much, yet things we focus on and put our hope in. Things we hope will bring us that atmosphere of contentment, but they never do, and they never will. I like to ask myself a question when it comes to wondering what to do and what to worry about. I ask myself, will this matter in eternity? Another question is, what am I putting my hope in? There is only one thing to put our hope in. And it is not just a temporal hope, it's an eternal hope. And that can only be found in Christ Jesus as Lord.
1: So the last C was
0: concerned and if
1: we learned anything in the last couple of years, it's how easy it is to become so anxious and worry and fear and how that can overcome us and actually how hopelessness can also paralyze us almost too. And this world is hopeless, it is lost because what they don't have is no real identity and they don't really have understanding what to be thankful for and they really don't know who to trust in and they really keep focusing on all these wrong things. So obviously, they're gonna have no hope. So as I wrap up here, just a couple quick more thoughts for you guys that um, I would like to talk about. And one is just, just to give you another biblical one. We talk about the biblical principles. There are Bible verses that back all of this. Put your identity in Christ. Corinthians says, if I'm, therefore, if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And talking about giving thanks. What you do is in whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. And can we really trust in him? He says in John, my sheep are my voice. I know them. I give them eternal life. And no one's going to snatch them out of my hand. My father's greater. And no one's going to snatch them out of his hand. We're one. And our hope then is in him also too. First Peter talks about the resurrection and the hope. And then he also talks about here joy inexpressible in a peace of fullest measure and a glory of thanksgiving those are the three sisters of contentment joy peace and thanksgiving if you find somebody who has joy peace and thanksgiving or one of those really well they probably have those other ones that's why contentment is so important So you've seen the outline, you know what it is, and what I want you to realize, again, you can even draw arrows, there's a flow here. If you compare, you're going to complain. If you complain, you're going to try to control. If you try to control, you're just going to get more confused. If you're confused, you're going to get anxiety. And that's really idolatry. It's putting yourself in place of God. Whereas if you really want to do things right, listen to what God says and put your identity in Christ, give thanks to him, trust in him, focus on Christ. And then you'll have your hope. So the last of the outline here, I want to put these in. You're at all relationships, but if you really want to focus on how to do this, it's his presence is number one. His presence, which means pray, be in fellowship with believers. Get around people that have these things on the right-hand side. Second thing is his truth, which is Bible study, his word, meditation on his word. And that meditation aspect means that you live it, you feel it all the time. It's not that you sit there and you think, I mean, but it's part of you. And then his providence, which just means that he's got it. He's in control. If your identity's in Christ, he's got it. And he doesn't just have it, he has it and will provide. That's what providence is for the good of you. So in closing, I just want to give you just a couple more questions and five little quick scenarios just to kind of do this. And I know this may be convicting because it's convicting to me when I think about it, but I don't want it just to be convicting and go, oh my goodness, I fail at this, because you do, I do. But what I want you to think about is when I do this, I hear myself and I want to be accountable not to do it much more. So these are the scenarios I want to give you. Let's talk about identity. How often do we tell our kids, don't worry, don't fret, don't listen to what they say, you're special to me, look, it's okay, look who cares for you, you are ours. We tell that to our kids, yet what do they see in us? Do they also know that we know that we're special in God's eyes, that he cares for us, that our identity's in him? As far as complaining, now what do we usually say to our kids? Make sure you say thankful. Why can't you be more thankful? Don't you realize this person that loves you so much gave you this thing and you didn't even say thank you? What do they see in us? The one who gives us everything? Do they see us giving thanks to that one too? Are we the model of that? And he's the one that's already been hurt and still gives us stuff that we need? How about control? We teach our kids that's not yours. Stop grabbing that. You don't know how to use that. You might break that. And what do we hear from our kids? Mine, mine, I do, I do. What do they see in us? <laughs> control, to control everything also too, my way. This is what I wanna do. Or they realize that we're trusting in the one who we should really trust in? How about confusion? Never say this to your kids. Can't you just focus? Would you just look at me? Don't you understand? Would you pay attention to me? And what do we do? What do they see in us? Who are we focusing on? Who are we paying attention to? And unfortunately, it's kind of convicting when your kids come up and go, let me see, let me see. And you're like, I've just spent a half hour on more confusion in my mind. And I really don't even want to show them what I'm looking at because I'm not focused on that either. So they do that. And then the last thing is concern. How many times do we say, don't worry, mommy and daddy are here you're safe, it's gonna be okay, it will heal, you'll feel better, we'll take care of you. And what do they see in us? Do they realize that we have one that we can look to and go, hey, we know it's okay, he'll take care of us, he'll heal us, he'll make us feel better. So all these concerns and these scenarios, when you see them in your life, just go, okay, how can I be accountable not to do that more? So the last thought we talked about and the last thing we said, the first thing we said I want to end up with, this can be learned. Paul says in Philippians 4.11, I have learned to be content in all my circumstances. And the really cool thing is Paul is a very content guy. And then he goes on to say in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. And a few verses later he says, and my God shall supply all my needs in Christ Jesus. The atmosphere of contentment seeds hard, but it can be learned, and you can do it, and I'm sure you would love to have it, and we all need it. Let me pray real quick. Father, thank you so much. I just pray that we would look at our own lives and how far we fall short, but, Lord, how much we can do and learn from you. I thank you that as we put our identity in you that we can give thanks to you, that we can trust in you then, and if we focus on you more and more, we can have hope in you, and then we can have contentment. And Father, this world needs it so bad, they would love to walk into a place and go, this feels really good to be here. Help us to start with ourselves individually, help us to start with our homes, help us to start with our whole atmosphere that we're around. And thank you again, Lord, for the privilege of sharing with these ladies. And I just pray for all of us that we would learn to develop an atmosphere of contentment in our lives. In your name, amen. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. So... (laughs)